right. Welcome, everybody, on Facebook. Welcome, everybody, on my podcast viewers. Facebook, Instagram, everybody, Telegram, welcome. This will be posted. I welcome everybody from the United States. I can't say the states now because I've already got 37 states. And I welcome my listeners from around the world and listeners locally on my Facebook page and other pages. So tonight we start the Esther series. Check my... There we go. Much better. All right. We start our Esther series. So we are going to start with chapter one of Esther, and we're going to read through Esther first before we start our chapter for review. And I want you to listen what chapter one has to say. Now, in this book, there is no highlights. Remember, God is in the background doing his work. But we are going to read Esther nevertheless. She was a prominent figure in Jewish history. That's what Purim come to be about was her. And she was a woman of dignified means. She lost her parents at a young age. Her cousin Mordecai was a father figure. So we're going to start where things start rolling, where she ends up being queen over with Xerxes and favored. So the actual name, we use Esther, which means Ishtar or star. But in Hebrew, it's Hadassah. My middle name is Hadassah, which means Myrtle. Or Medallion of Esther is what it means. It was in the days of Xerxes, the chief of rulers. This was Xerxes who reigned from India to Ethiopia, ruling over 127 provinces. When King Xerxes sat on the throne of his kingdom in the citadel of Susa, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all of his officials and nobles. The power of the Medes and Persians, the officials of the army, the nobles, and the rulers of the provinces were presented there. Let me take a drink. And it goes on to say, he displayed great wealth of his empire and the splendor of his majesty for a total of 180 days. Just a little over four months. Let's go on. Because four months is roughly 100, 120 days, so you've got to add another 62. That That's about roughly six months, roughly, give and take. We'll go on, and it says, Now when these days were over, the king gave a feast, lasting seven days for all men staying in the citadel of Susa. For both the mighty and insignificant, in the courts of the garden of the king's palace, the garden was decorated with hanging hangings of white and blue linen, feasting with cords of white linen, and purple material tied to silver rings on marble columns. There was a couch of gold and silver on the mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. The drinks were served with gold goblets with no two alike, and there was an abundance of royal wine. Keeping with the king's generosity, the drinking according to the king's order of his household servants was not to be compulsory. Each man could drink as he chose. Queen Vashti also held a feast for the two women in the palace of King Xerxes. Separate feast now, remember this. She was holding a separate feast at a separate time. The same time the king was holding a feast. And she was supposed to be present at the feast. We'll go on and see what it says. Uh, on the seventh day, when the king was in high spirits because of the wine, he commanded Mahuna, Bithsaf, Herbron, 
Miskoth, Agagoth, Zeskoth, and Krakus, the seven eunuchs who personally served the king Xerxes to bring Queen Vashti before the king's presence, wearing the crown of the kingdom, so he might display her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. Now, there's many speculations as to why he wanted Queen Vashti before him. Some say it was to present her body unclosed. Others are saying otherwise. I'm not going to say what it is. I'm only going to read the context of the scriptures as is presented in the Hebrew lit. So, Vashti was queen. She was already being defiant by having a party with two other women of the court. So we're going to see. Now remember, in these times, they had multiple wives or multiple harem women, concubines that they used. They had one or two wives, but then they had one master wife or mistress over the whole community. So we're going to go in. And it goes on to say her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was a beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by his eunuchs. Because of this, the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. Mm. Sound familiar sometimes, what the father would do as king to his children? Yeah. The king immediately counseled with the experts who knew the law. It was customary for the king to consult experts in the matters of the law and justice. His closest advisor being Krishna, Shira, Ag Agmitha, Karisha, Mirsa, Mirnera, Meskuna, the seven princes of Persia and Mead, who could personally convince with the king or converse with the king who ranked highest in the kingdom he said what shall be done with queen vashti according to the law since she did not obey the commands of the king xerxes delivered by the eunuchs then memuscus or memuscan answered in the presence of the king and the nobles and said queen vashti has not only wronged the king but also the princes and all the men in the providence of King Xerxes. Now remember, this was a time when women did not show authority. I mean, they were equals, but they did not show authority to the man. And she's showing authority. It was looked down upon. The queen's behavior, we go on here with the guys, by her disobedience, she has given an example to all women to do like matter with their husbands. That is her disobedience. So we're looking at one and two. This is the explanation is given. Out of the Tanakh. And it goes on. And Queen Vashti. And the queen's behavior. Will be reported to all women. And their husbands will be despised in their eyes. When it is made known that King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti. To be brought in before him. But she refused to come. Wow. So let's go on and see what it says. According to the lid. This very day. The woman among the nobility of Persia and Medes. Will hear about the queen's behavior. And will respond. <clears throat> will respond to the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of the contempt and discord. Meaning, they would re would take the first opportunity to do the same, and that the rest of the women would follow and do the same likewise. They was scared that the women would retaliate against their husbands. Uh, men, in these days and times, I don't care if it was an Arab or a Persian or what it was. They was accustomed. Men were the rulers of the household. The women managed the household while the men were away. They were equals. They, women had to be submissive, but Vashti was not very submissive in this respect. She disrespected her husband. Therefore, it was customary if a wife diso was disobedient in front of the husband or she did something she was not supposed to do, like adultery, that the woman would be divorced and sent away. 
in two instances. Now, remember, he's not Jewish. He's Persian and Mede. So their laws would have had a similar attribute, but a little bit different, and they were pagan. So let's go on. If it pleases the king, let a world decree be sent from him, and let it be recorded in the law of the Persians and the Medes, so it may not be altered or changed in any way, that Vashti will never again be brought into the presence of King Xerxes. Then let the king give her royal position as queen of the empire to another who is better than she. Better than she. So remember that. Now let's see what it goes on to say here. Then the king's decree is proclaimed through all his great empire. All wives will honor their own husbands, whether they are mighty or insignificant. So here we see that this decree was to say that women had rights to a point. But if the husband called their wife before them to discuss matters of the family, they were to come. Or they had a party and they wanted men to see their wives. They, and men back then, just like they do today, like to parade their wives in front of people for the beauty. Nevertheless, Vashti dishonored it and it made her husband very angry. Um, and she probably did a few other things. We're not for sure in behind this because it really doesn't explain the whole attributes that Vashti was doing. This advice was pleasing to the king and the princes, and the king acted on the council of Mimuska. Then he sent a letter to all the king's provinces, each letter written in the script of the individual provenance to each people in their own language, proclaiming in each man's dialect that the man should be the head of the household. Bingo. That is, the wife should be subject to the husband and all his commands. So there's where we leave off at Queen Vashti. So we will come, we're going to read through chapter 2 of Hadassah, and we're going to see what happens with Esther or Hadassah. So let's go on. After these things, when the anger of the king Xerxes had subsided, he thought about Vashti and what she had done to instigate his decree against her. Then the king's attendants who served him suggested, let a search be made for a beautiful young virgin for the king. A harem. Let the king appoint officials in all the provinces of his kingdom so they will assemble all the beautiful young virgins in the houses of the women in the citadel of Susa. Let them be under the supervision of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. And let the beauty treatments be given to the women. Then let the young women, the one who pleases the king, be queen in the place of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the king, and he acted upon it. So this is where they got the term harems. In Susa, the citadel, there was a certain Judah. Judea or Judah, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Urim and the son of Shimani, the son of a Kishite, a Benjamite, who had been carried, been carried captive into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He was among those taken captive from. Yeah, Jahanikin, the king of Judah, or Jahanikin is what it means, of Judah, or Judah. Mordecai had been brought up by, Mordecai had brought up his cousin Hadassah, for she had neither a father nor mother. The young woman was lovely in form and feature. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had accepted her as his own daughter, adoption. So there you see family members taking on family members like we do today and raising them. So when the king's proclamation and decree was announced and when many young women are, were assembled to Susa, the citadel, under the care of Haggai, Hadassah was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who was in charge 
of the women. So that's where we start our reading on the Esther anointing. So it was when the king commanded a decree, and it was heard, many young women were gathered to Sushan, Citadel, under the custody of Hagi. Then Esther, also known as Hadassah, was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai and to the cust custodian of the women. He was a custodian. This is a passive tense in that was taken in the averse verse. So we will start with number two. I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome back. So we are going to continue our discussion where we left off. We was on two. This verb can mean taken by force. The word taken indicates to be fetched or acquired like property. Okay. This edict went out across the land and the king's guards was dispatched together. The girls. One minute they were whisked away to the palace and placed in a harem. What she says. These women's lives were suddenly interrupted. The Persian Empire didn't care whether parents had other plans for their daughters or not. Remember, resistance is futile. You must be assimilated. It is easy to dismiss Esther or Hadassah as a lucky young woman who won the heart of the king. Most people view this story of Esther as one of romance, but there is another view to offer a different point. Hadassah was a woman with a tragic background. Both her parents had died and she was adopted and cared for by her cousin Mordecai who advised her to keep her Jewish identity a secret. 13. In fact, to call the progress of collecting the women a competition is a little misleading since none of the contestants would be going home afterwards. Think about that. 14. These women were slaves whose lives were not considered their own. 15. The king was to add to his collection of living dolls. Those chosen would live in secluded splendor for the rest of their lives, even if they were only rarely taken out and played with. 16. This is more in line with the modern day sex trafficking than a beauty pageant. Think about it. Our children and what's happening in other countries. 17. Now imagine if a woman were going about their day and suddenly a government official comes and for all intensive purposes snatches them off the streets. Think about it. Snatching young women off the streets. 18. Why? Because the king, who is known to kill people at a whim, wants a new wife since he banished the first one. 19. The first queen Vashti refused to show herself before the king and his guests after he requested her presence. So that could show off her beauty. And that was in Esther 1. We read that. The personalized story of Hadassah or Esther. Esther, whose name to her family and kinsmen was Hadassah, was living at the time soon after the nation of Israel was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who had been conquered by the Persians, Persian and Mede Empire. While most Jews had been allowed to return to Jerusalem, Hadassah's family was part of the group that decided to stay in Persia. Within their modest, tight-knit community, many of these families kept all the Jewish laws and traditions, similar to how they must have tried to live in Egypt in the time of Moshe. Hadassah, being a young girl, was 12 or 13 years old and taught Hebrew tradition. The Torah forbid her to intermarry with other cultures. Hmm. So we see this even today. So when the edict went out and the soldiers came to collect Hadassah, she must have known 
her life was going to be different forever. Being in line to marry the king of an opposing enemy's nation was against everything she had been taught and raised to believe. Imagine her plight and our own with sin being similar. Hadassah had a personal fear and despair that is her young life had been stripped from her family and forced into a behavior or practice that went against her beliefs about marriage and sexual purity. Her virginity and single woman's honor in the palace would be stolen and violated. She would plead to Yahuwah, begging him for mercy and deliverance. She, Hadassah, was indeed a victim. <clears throat> Esther's story offers hope to all women who face trauma, life-altering situations or traumatic, life-altering situations and troubles of any kind. Yahuwah or God can help work through fear and danger to accomplish your destiny. Okay, and we're going to stop there, and we are going to continue on Esther 2, on Hadassah 2. I want you to hear what it has to say. So we left off with 8, and we are going to continue her story. And it says, Now the young women pleaded, he pleased him. Now the young woman pleased him, and he was kindly disposed towards her. So he prompted, promptly provided her with her beauty treatments and her proper daily allowance of food. Okay. Proper daily allowance, controlling her diet. Okay. Then seven select maidens were provided for her from the, select, uh, from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maid to the best quarters in the house of the women. Hadassah, not yet, revealed her race or her descendancy when Mordecai had given her orders forbidding it. Every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Hadassah's welfare and progress. Now each young woman took her turn going to King Xerxes after he had completed 12 moons of a beauty regiment. This was prescribed beauty regiment for the women. Six months treatment with oil of myrrh, bitterness, and six moons of treatment with perfumes and cosmetics. After her beauty regime was over, each young woman went to the king. She was, was given whatever she wanted to take with her. She left the house of the women for the king's living quarters. She went in in the evening, and the next morning she returned to the other section of the house of the women to care to the care of Sheshagan, the king's eunuch who supervised the concubines. She would never go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and he summons her by name. Now when the turn for Hadassah or Esther, the daughter of Abihal, the uncle the uncle of Mordecai, who had raised her as his own daughter, to go in, in to the king. She asked for nothing except that which Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of women, suggested she take. Hadassah endowed everyone who um, endeared anyone who met her. So Hadassah had taken to the king to his royal quarters in the 10th moon, the 10th Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Hadassah more than all his other wives, and he en endeared her to herself and won his acceptance more than all the other virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen in the place of Vashti. Then the king proclaimed a great marriage feast in honor of Hadassah. For all his officials and nobles, he proclaimed a holiday in the providence and gave gifts worthy of the king's generosity. When those virgins were, virgins were being assembled together, Mordecai was sitting within the king's gate, and Hadassah had not yet revealed her race or religion. Her religion. Just as Mordecai had told her, 
for Hadassah obeyed the instructions of Mordecai as she had done with when she being raised by him. At that time, Mordecai sat in the, within the king's gates, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the doorway. Benjani and Tashari became angry with the king and plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and informed Queen Hadassah. Then Hadassah informed the king in, the, in Mordecai's name. When an investigation was made into the matter and the plot was confirmed, both of them were hanged at the gallows. This matter was recorded in the book of the Chronicles of the Presence of the King. So there we go. So we see that Hadassah actions and her cousin Mordecai saved her husband's life. So we're going to go on out of ashes. Felt as if your destiny has been taken. You wondered if Yahuwah cares. You feel alone. Yahuwah promised to never leave you or forsake you. Shaitan is the one who destroys things. We must develop greater faith. God or Yahuwah's hand is working in our lives. This is the Esther, Esther's anointing. He has a divine plan and purpose for women. Women must trust Adonai, or the Lord's sovereign, over our lives. We know we must turn our lives over to him in faith and life, even our trauma, pain, and sickness. And I did that in my own life. I'm not going to go over my own life here. You already know my past. God or Yahuwah wants to create beauty out of ashes. Yahuwah or God wants to heal you and set you free from all your problems. I want to declare to you, women of Yahuwah, that everything can be taken from you, including your dignity, but the power to choose what attitude you have towards trauma, even that has happened to you, will never be taken away beyond the pain of life. Now, we are going to go in, since this is going to be a short session. Um, <clears throat> I might read chapter 3 on the celebration of Esther. Uh, but we're going to read this first, and then we'll go into that. It says, with odds against you, Yahuwah, Yahuwah God is not limited by some things that will limit us in our natural, even everyday world. God operates beyond all limits. These limits include past failures, lack of resources, poor upbringing, and so on. God or Yahuwah takes whatever we have and applies his love and favor to it and let it soar. Cause you, causing you to excel in the most unlikely circumstances. So, before we finish here, we are going to read a couple more chapters on Hadassah. Out of our book <clears throat> in the Jewish context. So we're going to see what happens to Hadassah in chapters 3 and 4. After these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hegmagdatha the Alagite, and elevated him to the office and made him the highest ruler among nobles. All the officials of the king at that gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for it was for is what the king had commanded to do for him. But Mordecai would not bow down and pay homage. Okay, here's where our trouble starts. Haman would be like Shatan or Satan. We bow down to the king, but Satan wants us to bow down to him. Or we have men of the world wanting us to bow down. I know one in the United States right now that thinks he's king. He's no king. He's like Haman. Him and his horde, as I call it, think they are gods. And they are not gods. And I am not going to bow down to them. But we'll talk about that later. Then the king's official within the king's gate said, Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? 
Finally, after they had spoken to him day after day, he still refused to comply. They informed Haman in order to see what Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. Now, Mordecai had informed them that he was of Judah or Yehudi. When Haman saw for himself what Mordecai did not did not bow down to pay him homage, Haman was filled with rage. Sound familiar what's going on right now? We have a president that wants us to bow down to him, but yet we're fighting him. We are Esther and Mordecai, and we are fighting Haman. Interesting. However, his arrogance refused to execute execute Mordecai, just Mordecai. They had told him who Mordecai's people were, so Haman sought to, a way to destroy all the Yahadim throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes and Mordecai with them. So we are going to stop here. I'm going to take a 10-minute break, and I'll be right back for this third and fourth part. Alright, welcome back everybody on Facebook and my podcast. So, I'm doing a double recording tonight to clear out both. So, we left off on number seven. And it says, in the first moon, which is the moon of Nisan, in the twelfth year of king of Xerxes, they cast Pur, that is, the lot, in front of Haman to select the day and the moon. The lot fell on the 13th day of the 12th moon, which is the moon of Adar. After the lots was cast, indicating the day and the moon, Haman brought the matter before the king and said, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in every providence in your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people. And they do not even obey the king's commands. Because of this, it is not proper for the king to allow them to continue. We've heard this. We've heard it many times. Television stations calling that we need to go to education camps. We're hearing the exact same repeat as in Esther. Think about it. Socialism. Same thing. If it pleases the king, let it be recorded that they are to be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver, about 375 tons of silver, directly to the king's treasury to carry out the process. So the king removed his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, son of Hamedath the Agagite, the enemy of the Yahadim. The king said to Haman, It is your money. And the people are yours to do as you you please. So the king just shook it off. And we're seeing that now. So the king removed his signet ring and we go on. The king said to Haman, it pleases him. Okay, then we go to 12. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first moon. And the decree was written exactly as Haman had dictated to the king's set writ, or set rip, or set trips. Governors of the large provinces, the governors all over the small provinces and cities, over every province, and to the officials of all the people in the name of the king Xerxes. And it was sealed with the royal signet ring. The scribes wrote this in the script of each province and in, in the languages of each people. The letters were dispatched by carriers throughout all the kingdom's providences, king's providences to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Yahadim. Every man and boy and every woman and child in a single day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth day of the moon, the moon of Adar, to plunder their possessions. A copy of this document was to be issued as a law in every providence and to be made known to all the people that they should be ready for that day the carriers went out quickly and the king commanded and the decree was proclaimed in susa the citadel 
Then the king of the king and Haman sat down to drink, while the city of Susa was in a state of confusion. Sound familiar? A state of confusion. What's going on in the United States right now? It's in a state of confusion. We're seeing history repeating itself. Um, we're seeing things happening. Now, next week, we will go back over Chapter 2 in more detail with Chapter 2. And Chapter 2 is a book. But we are going to see how the favor of Hadassah with the king ends up destroying Haman later. But right now, we're at the point that she comes before God in a fast. I kind of went a little ahead of myself for good reason, but we will pick back up on that. And I'm going to bookmark this until that time. So we have it. Um, so it'll be marked. So we see that a woman has power over a man by favor. Just as we as believers have power over the Father through prayer and fasting. And we will be going into fasting. Um, right now we're just seeing the play leading to the cause. Haman has issued a decree that all believers in Yahuwah must be punished because they're not bowing to a king. We're hearing the call-outs on the news and several voices that certain people need to be put in concentration camps and re-educated. Sounds familiar, don't it? Socialism. The exact same thing Haman was doing to the Jewish people, he's doing now to Jews and Christians. They're calling for us to be put in concentration camps. History is repeating itself for a third time. But yet, now they're backed in a corner and they don't know how to deal with people that believe in God. Don't get me wrong, I don't always agree with all my Jewish brethren and what they believe. They throw Yeshua out, but no one deserves death. Only if they make a choice of not accepting. I find out today, or a few days ago, that something passed Congress, and I'm praying and hoping it doesn't pass Senate, H.R. 1. H.R. 1 makes it legal that if a school or religious-centered function decides not to let homosexuals in, they can shut them down. It also gives them rights to take the children away from the parents. If the children decide to be bisexual, or whatever it might be, that it can be considered child abuse and they can break the nuclear family apart. I don't have children myself, but I don't want the government stepping in and dictating to me what my children are. They're too young. We're having the same attributes of Haman showing up in a president and vice president and and a party that's beguiling. They have voted that taxpayer dollars is going now to world abortions, people. World abortions. They signed a legislative law. They've shut down the Keystone Pipeline. And people are fighting that. They've put people out of work in a time they need work. They're putting things in bills that make it possible for Planned Parenthood to be funded by abortion through taxpayer dollars. This is what we're dealing with, the Haman ideology. You see Haman here, what he was doing to the Jewish people, my people. And I'm a believer and I admit they're still my kin. It's been nearly 6,000 years since this story has been written, maybe a little less. This story teaches history at its core. And you're going to see how history 
not is only explained in the current situation, but in World War II, it plays out in the story. It mentions other people being executed. I'm leading to something with this. Esther predicted what would happen after World War II, and it's happening again. If we don't stop this type of social nationalist socialism that they're counting, we're going to go right into another Nazi camp. And I refuse to be in a Nazi camp. I'll fight. I'll let him kill me if I have to, but I am not going to a Nazi camp. History cannot repeat itself, even though it's in cycles. And eventually, our creator and his son are going to come. True. But I see something that's scary. We're walking off a cliff. We are now falling from that cliff. And if we don't fight and don't stop as a church, as believers, both the Gentile and the Jew, and non-Jew alike. We don't fight. The very values that our founding fathers put in to protect us is going to be ripped from us. I see it. Just like Nazi Germany was destroyed, just like Russia was destroyed with communism, and so many other forms of socialist behavior they believe in eugenics do you know what eugenics is go back and read what eugenics is educate yourself eugenics supported mass sterilization it supported brain surgeries on people like me with ld problems it supported women being ripped apart that had children it supported euthanasia on children it supported abortions for population control not that i don't think that we should learn ways of controlling our own nature i agree with that but not through death and murder there's another culture that does that too the the the, the religion teaches death but right now i'm talking about america they're taking their form of what we got in here they call it democracy it's not democracy at all it's it's forthright belief and pushing it on the american people during a pandemic during a pandemic there's been many businesses shut their doors there's been places go out in the little community I'm in, what jobs we have are far and few in between. And they're preaching to me that I need to shut my mouth because I disagree with an action they're doing. I'm sorry. I have freedom of free will and I'm going to speak my mind. I'm tired of being told to shut up and follow behind the lines. I'm no longer doing it. I'm speaking here and I'm speaking now and I'm speaking truth. All Black Lives Matter is, is a fascist organization. All we got in the White House is an extremist. They're all extremists of some form, either Islamic, socialist extremists, or communist extremists right now. Pelosi, no exception. Then we got the other side, which is Antifa. All these groups are supported by one goal, and that's to destroy the fabric of what this country is about. They want to rip God out of its history. Don't get me wrong. I don't support what happened during the slave movement. I never did and never will because it was appalling. But do they know, historically, their own people sold them into slavery? The Afro-American community. But do they know, historically, they was also white people from Ireland, Scotland, 
and other European countries by their own people sold into indentured slaverhood. Do they know what indentured servanthood is? It's a form of slavery. My own people were slaves in Egypt. They try to wipe that history out, but you can't. I don't support slavery one bit. And I won't support something I don't believe in that promotes slavery. My family never, ever mistreated people. Yeah, my dad come from the South. Yes, they lived in a predominant area that was slave home. But my grandfather, through the history of the, the Ford family, never owned a slave. Most of the black people that came over here that worked for them, they give them freedom. Let him go on. That was my founding father's family. My mother came from Poland, just just above Germany from Auschwitz, just within hours of Auschwitz. My mother's family's been here since 1701. They were founders. She come from a Jewish family that came to the Americas for freedom of religion. These people want to wipe out churches. They want to wipe out any kind of religious teachings. They're dangerous and they don't accept it. And we'll go on with this and I'll explain why I'm reading the anointing of Esther. Alrighty, welcome back everybody. We're gonna wrap it up here for long. Let me get a drink. Just finished eating. Okay, there we go. We want to wrap it up for long. And we'll show you something very important to me. Now, most of my listeners on my podcast can't hear what I'm about to say, but my right now in the video. 6.5 million Jews. This kippa just represents me and my family. This is a kippa or a skull cap, also known as a crown cap. It has been in the Jewish tradition many generations. As a Messianic believer, I wear it to honor my ancestry. I had a woman in church ask me, why Messianic Judaism? Why not Christianity? I have nothing against my brothers and sisters at all. But for me to understand myself and what I was all about, my mother was taken from her parents at a very young age, approximately four years old. What she would have known in her family she would have been taught the traditions of what this skull cat represented and the tallit, which you see me wear on many occasions online. These are remembrances that the Father in Heaven wanted us to remember. They were signs of the priesthood or the promise that Yeshua would come. They are reminders of his death, burial, and resurrection. They are reminders that he was here as a representation of the Father. Six million Jews went to their deaths because of this thing. And I'm proud to wear it. But I'm also proud to say I'm a believer. I believe in what Jesus or Yeshua did. He was my uncle, my relative. I am a Yahadim. I'm out of the line of Judah. Out of a line of kings, and I'm proud of that. And he is the ultimate king. He's my king, my father, and my uncle. That's why I wear this cap bravely, because it is a symbol of what I am and a reminder of a very proud heritage. A heritage that was almost lost. But it's also a reminder of the past. 
and the law, the Torah, the mitzvahs, the 613, the ordinances, you might say. I honor those ordinances and I honor the 10 words, as we call it. They are who I am, but I don't physically honor them. I honor them with my heart in doing of others, in loving my brothers and sisters and helping them in loving my community. And I also honor them to love my father in heaven. That's what it means to be a Messianic Jew. It is also what it means to be a Christian. It's to live the values that the father sets before us. And the very first value he teaches is to love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. To honor his Shabbat, his holy time. To not worship idols. To not murder. To not covet. To not steal. To not destroy <coughs> things. Do not bear false witness. These are just some of his teachings. Do not commit adultery. Be pure in heart. These are the things that make us pure in heart, but we do it by faith. That's where my people failed before the kingdom of David was destroyed. After David and Shlomo passed, they let other things enter into the culture that was not supposed to be. They took heathen values. And some of those heathen, heathen values were idol worship, murder, killing and destroying and ultimately it ended the kingdom by punishment but the father made a promise and he kept his promise ultimately we have a Messiah that is a king even though my unbelieving brothers and sisters don't believe that Yeshua was king there is many that have come to knowledge of faith like me were rare, very rarely seen. Most of us are hidden within Christianity. There are some that has come out of Christianity to start their own groups. But again, the Father says we are Elohim, or we are Yahadim. We are Echad. In Hebrew, that means one. When he says Aleph and Tav, it means unity and perfection. We are first to be in unity, second perfection. I find it ironic we have a president that preaches unity and perfection, as if he's God. But yet, he kills an innocent child. Thou shalt not kill. Then he bears false witness as many of the other Democrats have bared false witness against an innocent man. Again, bearing false witness against your brother. Thirdly, they covet a man for his popularity. Thou shalt not covet. And they try to steal what is not theirs. Thou shalt not steal. But one of the greatest commandments to love your neighbor as yourself. I see no love in him. And yes, I have a right to criticize my fellow Democrats. There are some that are good that do love, but yet they know their views are wrong. The Father does not support what he does not uphold. And the ultimate is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But yet, they put in the man that does not preach what he practices. Instead, he bows to Shaitan. And thirdly, they do not honor the father by loving him. They want to remove him from every part of society. Something I do not uphold. For without the father being in our society, we are nothing. He's our guiding force. He, commit, he, he made the first laws. Laws of love. Laws of obedience. And as children and his creation, we are to honor them. 
Yes, Adam and Eve sin. And we fall short of those things. And that's where the the ultimate sacrifice come in. To bring us to the Father. We cannot get to the Father unless we see the Son. They are one. He was God on earth. He was Emmanuel, Elohim. And they want to strip him of his kingdom rights. Well, I'm sad to say they cannot strip the king from his throne. There's no way they can get to heaven. They can deny it all they want. They can remove him from history. They can wipe out everything he was. But as long as there's a believer, it's not going to happen. That is what this kippah means to me. It's a long-standing history of my creator, my Abba, my father, my uncle's sacrifice. My memorial and testament from him to me. That's what he told me to say. I don't say it in front of my brothers and sisters. They ask many questions as to why I'm in a Christian church. But in his word, it's called Yahuwah's house. He told me to be there. It is my destiny. It is my place. It's where I belong. That is what it means to be a Messianic Jew or a Jewish believer, a completed Jew. Or, how do I put it lightly, a Christian that believes and applies the truth to her daily life. I am a Jew. I am Hebrew by birth. It is my God-given right as a chosen person of the Father. But the Father is not done with his own people. For he has more than one people. He has both Jew and Gentile. And he wants them to come together. That is his ultimate goal. But not many see that. So we're going to end it there. And now I'm going to read our declaration prayer. And it goes on to say this, Declaration and prayer to heal trauma and activate the Ruach or the spirit of triumph in our lives. And it says, I declare that my light has come. No longer will it sit in darkness, for Adonai, or the Lord, will release its heavenly revelation and illumination to me. My purpose is greatly clear. I am a woman who has Mental, emotional, and spiritual fortitude. New strength is rising within. I chose to move forward in the face of trauma. I have abstained, sustained a sense of personal meaning in life. I will no longer be destroyed by the events that happened to me. I receive the inner strength of overcoming. I declare that I will not let difficult or traumatic events define and derail my destiny. I will will not allow the Ruach or the spirit of bitterness, hurt, and for unforgiveness rule my life. Rule my life. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go on. I refuse to have a victim's mentality. I am strong and able to withstand opposition. I will continue blessing and serving Adonai and others, even in the midst of the storm of crisis. I am the arrow of deliverance that Adonai or the Lord is polishing and strategically shooting out from his quiver. I am a woman who is able to bear up under pressure and adversity. I am a conspicuous, distinguished and outstanding and preemptive. I will shine brighter than a diamond for the King of Kings. Adonai, you are my refuge and my strength, my very presence, help in every time of adversity. I embrace your healing and deliverance. You are my glory and my lifter of my head. The brightness of Yahuwah or God's countenance is turned towards me. I am the apple of your eye and the favor and glory of Adonai or Lord will rise over me. Adonai, Lord, 
clothe me in the mantle of dignity and strength. In Yeshua, or Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And so, there is our reading for today. And we will have another one tomorrow. After I get it rolled out, it'll take me a couple hours to do. <clears throat> Maybe even next Saturday, Friday and Saturday. I normally only do one reading a day. I was looking for it to spend a couple days. So, here is where we are going to go from here. I took one, two weeks off. We will have our normal everyday tally of our devotions per day. Uh, Nin's devotional night. And then Friday and Saturdays through the week. I'll get that all penciled into my calendar starting next week. And we will be ready for it. And I will see you here. And I will see you in Facebook land for our next podcast meeting. And remember what I said. What defines me. So <clears throat> hopefully I get this out. And I will see you guys later. And I will see my Facebook family later. Thank you. Bye.